Mesos and Kubernetes are tools for distributed systems management. Kubernetes is built with an emphasis on running services, whereas Mesos is commonly used for a wider variety of workloads, including data infrastructure like Spark and Kafka. Mesos can also be used as a platform to provide resource management for Kubernetes, and we get into that discussion of the interaction between Kubernetes and Mesos if you're running both of them today. My guest is Dharmesh Kakadia. He's the author of Apache Mesos Essentials, and he spent time studying both Mesos and Kubernetes. He joins the show to explain the strengths of both platforms and how they can be used together. In addition to dissecting Mesos and Kubernetes, we had a wide-ranging discussion from cloud providers to software architecture to business strategy. If you're going to be in the Bay Area on January 11th, I want to plug the Software Engineering Daily Meetup. There's going to be awesome speakers, there's going to be food, a positive atmosphere. It's going to be a lot of fun. It's totally free. Find more information on softwareengineeringdaily.com or at the Software Engineering Daily Meetup page. I hope to see you there. Dharmesh Kakadia is the author of Apache Mesos Essentials. Dharmesh, welcome to SE Daily. Hey, Jeff. Good to be here. Yeah, it's great to have you. And the reason that we're doing this episode is because you and I had an email exchange about Mesos and Kubernetes. These are two tools for distributed systems management. Of course, distributed systems management is a vague term. How do you define this class of tools when we're talking about things like Mesos and Kubernetes? So I think that the general class is, uh, is tools the, of the managing distributed systems is like the multiple silos. There are orchestrators, there are managers, there are configuration management, like all, all suit of tools. I think what Kubernetes and Mesos in particular are good at, both are good at is uh, uh, what I would generally call a data center OS or an infrastructure OS, um, and which basically manages right from your infrastructure installation to all the way the life cycle of the, of the application and like everything in between. So yeah, they really, Mesos and Kubernetes both simplify the operations of a cluster of compute nodes. And yeah, one, one of the thing, it, not only the, these are operational tools, I think the, the, one of the big difference between this uh, Mesos Kubernetes and the previous versions like uh, Chef and uh, Ansible and all sort of those tools, because Chef and Ansible were primarily ops tools, while Kubernetes and Mesos are targeted to dev tools, which are also good for ops. So I think that's a big difference. Mm. And the Chef and Puppet suite of tools were more about writing scripts and executing them, right? It wasn't like a full-fledged like application platform abstraction thing, right? Yeah, so that, that's like precisely the point. Like, it, Since they are ops tools, that means that it's targeted to ops audience and just to automating the scripts and things that they manually use to write. That And while the Mesos and Kubernetes are targeted to a DevOps uh, developers to write distributed applications. So like that, that's why you see... Uh, very different kind of audience, very different uh, set of interest in in, the, in these technologies. Mesos and Kubernetes have some differences. They also have some overlapping functionality. What are the common characteristics between Mesos and Kubernetes? So I think Mesos and Kubernetes both uh, are very good at distributed uh, at writing distributed systems. Like uh, if you are a developer who who is writing distributed uh, app 
or using distributed app um, both serve very good purpose there are there are minor differences in how they how they uh, what abstraction they choose and what level at they work in um, but by and large it's they are, they are both the good tools for distributed application writing so by distributed application writing i mean things uh, things like spark hadoop uh, or things like um, uh, master slave uh, web servers All, 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 all things which run on more than few machines, and uh, which is the reality in the modern infrastructure. And one thing you told me is that Mesos is at a lower level, and it knows how to do resource management. What do you mean by that? So I think I think it's very um, uh, it's a bit confusing, but uh, when when I mentioned that, I think the the thing to keep in mind is uh, there are two problems in infrastructure space resource allocation and resource scheduling so resource allocation is this problem of allocating resources which basically decides uh, which application gets what resource and and then then it sort of gets out of the way and it doesn't try to decide what the resources are used for while scheduling is the problem uh, which decides what to do with the resource once the once it is allocated to a to an application so traditionally this has been uh, coupled into a single monolith kind of a uh, infrastructure piece where uh, the 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 piece of uh, uh, component the component that is responsible for resource allocation is also something that is responsible for scheduling uh, which generally is less scalable and uh, mesos and uh, borg and uh, uh, this kind of uh, system started uh, basically separating them out and and uh, uh, gave birth of this uh, thing called two phase schedulers where mesos for example is just responsible for resource allocation while the application specific uh, scheduling happens within the application and it can be arbitrarily complex while while keeping the mesos simple uh come again what, what was your question sorry no no it, it didn't, that was that was not a question um well, i mean the original question was how do they do resource manage how does you know what does it mean that Mesos does resource management? But what you're talking about with these customized schedulers, I mean, I, I did a show a while ago about Netflix using Mesos, and they were talking about, well, the, the guest was talking about the custom schedulers that they were writing uh, for applications and and that's a very big asset that is a very that's a very big asset of mesos uh, that you can customize the application in in a way that suits your application need and uh, to 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 your original question what i mean by uh, mesos is the lower level uh, in the stack versus the kubernetes is so mesos is is like a data center kernel right so you can you can think of it just like uh, uh, your normal kernel uh, that normal linux kernel but but extend it to a data center so it just does the resource allocation just just does the isolation a resource allocation uh, and resource management not not the scheduling part like like if you are writing a c program in a normal linux system you would uh, sort of try to uh, so you you basically allocate uh, uh, memory and you would uh, decide what happens with that memory not not your kernel kernel is just responsible for giving you a chunk of memory and and that's it it gets out of the way so Similarly, Mesos at the lower level and just decides to give you what resources you need and just gets out of the way. Uh, while Kubernetes, on the other hand, or the other service scheduler like Marathon or Aurora or Kronos or like a number of other uh, uh, service scheduler, are sort of managing both of this. So they sort of in, uh, act as a mediator between your application um, and the resource management as well. So 
so kubernetes for like, when you when you say it's uh, on the sports so kubernetes will not only try to get resources for you it will also make sure that uh, the ports are up and it will keep monitoring and it, will, it is responsible for restarting the ports and and rescheduling the ports and things like that so that that's why it's a high level of abstraction versus that uh, versus some SOs. and because it's a high, different level of abstraction you can actually uh, run kubernetes on mesos and uh, along with other frameworks and and get the benefit of mesos and kubernetes both you characterize mesos as being particularly useful for data workloads like data infrastructure workloads like spark and kafka um, perhaps flink uh, there's the mantis framework for netflix and then in contrast kubernetes is a great model to run services so can you give more color to that like why what what is it about this this resource management model of Mesos that makes it better suited to doing data infrastructure workloads? And what is it about Kubernetes that makes it a better model for doing services? So, so if you think about that, so Kubernetes, uh, so, so there is only one way of do, doing things, more or less. Like there, are, there is a new proposal of new scheduling and uh, multiple schedulers and all. But uh, by and large, and right now, the state of the world is uh, there's only one way of doing things, where you give the uh, uh, and the worldview is like there's a state machine and uh, that you that you give to Kubernetes and Kubernetes will uh, try to make sure it is being followed. That that's that's precisely I think uh, the, that's the way I, I like to think about the Kubernetes uh, worldview where. UQ, right, you declarative say, okay, declarative syntax. This is what I want. This is what I want it to always be. And if some perturbation happens, then make things do this. Yeah, go yeah. back. Yeah. So and, and while and that that's why it's a great model for services because services are sort of uh, having a well defined uh, state machine where where you know what to do and what not to do. Uh, the which is not true for other application like for example Spark or any database application or any data infrastructure application. You want to take different actions based on number of things like based on uh, how much data is being so, so for example like uh, if i if i give you an example of uh, say um, things like hadoop or uh, or uh, things like uh, database application running on uh, mesos versus kubernetes so if database application it might not be a good idea at times even if it is one instance is killed it by bringing up the instance at somewhere else in the world like if just because there was a small network glitch it actually might end up hurting the database, right? So because it it will flood the replication and all sort of things. So as a uh, so as an application scheduler in Mesos, uh, you can you can decide for yourself what actions you want to take rather than giving this declarative syntax to Kubernetes and uh, like let him do everything. So basically, Kubernetes has this worldview where everything is a state machine and there is one way of doing things. Uh, which works great for uh, services, which works for was great works great for in fact uh, seventy to eighty percent of the application out there, but it sort of loses this uh, flexibility in 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 choosing what to do uh, when things um, go bad or uh, you need to change things. You it, whenever there is a dynamic decision involved, I think Mesos uh, uh, frameworks are much better suited. So if you, if you think about uh, like uh, the, the the I think the 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 Netflix example is great. The other example is uh, something like Twitter Heron, with which is uh, any any streaming service for example. You you can do different things when 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 things go wrong or uh, workload increases or, uh, and uh, the application framework is the one who knows this better than I think the generalized scheduler, which is Kubernetes. If I want to use. Whatever, whatever streaming system I'm using, whether it's Heron from Twitter or Mantis from Netflix or Spark or Flink, why would I want 
customized schedulers and how like how was that schedule that idea of a scheduler interacting with the stream data processing framework like if i've got some like if i'm netflix you know i've got tasks like uh, i want to i want to process you know as data is coming in uh, from like you a user consuming a movie like a user is consuming a movie and throughout that consumption of a movie they're pausing the movie maybe they're moving their mouse around in different ways and netflix wants to process all those uh, actions in a streaming fashion Perhaps that's different for how Twitter is processing all of the user interactions with tweets, for example. You know, if I'm if I'm looking at Twitter for an hour and I'm interacting with tweets in all these different ways, Twitter wants some stream processing framework to be able to process all of my actions as they're coming into the system. Um, talk some about why why these different companies build. I mean, first of all, why they build different streaming frameworks for their different applications and then why they build customized schedulers for how those applications those streaming applications get resources sure so uh, why they build different uh, streaming uh, uh, frameworks is is a, is a long discussion i think i think uh, streaming is one of those scenarios where uh, it's like a configuration management in many sense. Like uh, if you, if you see before five years, like everybody in the world were using their own patch scripts where <laughs> it was very specific to their needs, solves them well. Uh, but more and more, yeah, I think there are. Uh, uh, so streaming framework, I think, is again one of those areas where uh, there are different trade-offs that's, that that you can make, and I think different systems make different trade-offs. I think that's where the like some of the frameworks uh, give more importance to consistency versus the latency, where other tries to be more latency sensitive uh, uh, while sacrificing some of the consistency. Uh, in terms of custom schedulers that you mentioned, like I, I want to be clear that the, the, whenever I say custom scheduler, it's not like some big piece of code. Like most of the custom schedulers in in mesos are like pretty small like because the abstraction is so nice uh, and and the fact that most of these distributed applications uh, like kafka like flink or like heron uh, already is a master slave application where already there is this notion of scheduling uh, or in in the traditional sense for example any yarn app will have the application master uh, so this is the a piece of code that already exists on most of the schedulers which sort of decides what happens uh, what how to run thing how to run this particular thing like uh, if it is a spark it it says how to run this particular dag if if it is a, a kafka it sort of says uh, where this particular piece of uh, data goes and how how it is processed how long it is um, sort of uh, kept um, before it's discarded and all that stuff so this this pieces are already there i think writing a custom scheduler for that in mesos is so easy uh, and, and and that's a, that's another reason why why Mesos has uh, got so popular and it's very very user friendly. In fact, uh, if you were trying to write a new distributed application, it's it's you know, pretty hard, uh, so pretty easy uh, compared to writing your own um, uh, own application from the scratch. So I give this example of uh, so if you uh, if you uh, are today if you give someone um, a task of writing a hello world in C for example. Uh, they'll write like four line or five line of program and they'll be done with it. Now you say to them that, okay, you need to write the same Hello World program, but there is no OS. So then, then they need to do the scheduling, they need to do hardware management, they need to do uh, device management, like you name it. So writing distributed application without distributed uh, data center infrastructure OS is like writing a Hello World. Even if you're trying to write a Hello World program, uh, it will take all the efforts in the world, not only to write, also to run. Um, so Mesos gives us nice primitives of uh, how to write a distributed application without 
sweating basically what are some of those parameters that you can tune how do you write a custom scheduler you mentioned you know the things that you're tuning on a scheduler for kafka are different than what you're tuning for a scheduler for heron or some other streaming framework how does that what, what are the parameters that you tune how do you write a scheduler so so scheduling as section in um, uh, as as a framework you, uh, in mesos you 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 are served some offers resource offers so that's a concept in uh, resource offers are basically the, the chunk of resource that, that so the, the data resource, center uh, has some spare computers you are prese- your you are a framework and the the data center says hey would you like this resource yes so it's 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 precisely that way so it will say okay you know i i have this 2 cpu and 4 gb of ram lying around or 100 cpu and uh, 128 gb of ram lying around uh, do you want it so it will try to do, give this applica- this uh, resource offers to different frameworks uh, depending on the priority and uh, uh, drf and all uh, but as as a framework you don't need to worry about like how you get resources so you just need to implement an api that says uh, what happens when you get resource offer so you can say okay if i if i'm a kafka and uh, i need three instances and i my current number of instances is less than blah like okay i'll i'll take that offer if it satisfies uh, my need and and just acknowledge uh, mesos that okay i need this offer thank you very much for that uh, once it once you received offer you can you can do uh, what is called executors in 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 uh, mesos uh, terminology so what the executor is basically what to do with uh, once you have, now now you got the resources now what do you want to do with the uh, the resource okay i want to launch a kafka slave on that or i want to launch a spark task on that so and, and that's very application specific but uh, it's again as i'm saying like this is already something that uh, most of the schedulers already know how to do like how, how to launch a spark slave is very like known in the spark world or how to launch a kafka slave is typically these are just one line scripts or one api calls in most of the the frameworks so writing a scheduler that's why uh, even though it's uh, uh, the application needs are very different from the writing point of view it's very very simple so you've talked about putting Kubernetes on Mesos. Uh, we did a show, I think it was like a year ago, with Michael Hausenbloss from Mesos, and he, yeah, yeah, he talked about putting Kubernetes on Mesos. And I think at that point, I was like really just getting my feet wet in these topics. I didn't really understand why you would do this. I didn't understand how, but now I, I think I'm starting to understand it because you would have Mesos that is the really wide scope thing that is managing your data center and then you've got um, streaming jobs you've got batch jobs and the idea of streaming is just like uh, the best definition for streaming I've heard is the data never stops coming so it you can you can you always have something to do because the data is always coming in so you know how you want to prioritize that is going to depend on what your application is you know some systems are going to have higher priority uh, jobs for data processing. But on the other hand, your services, you know, you're probably going to have some services that you want to just stay up all the time. You're always going to want to have compute resources available for these services. I mean, like, uh, you know, Gmail, right? Gmail has a bunch of services that are just standing up all the time. So if you want to request your email, you can get it instantly. You don't have this problem of like, you know, making a request and then some load balancer on Google side says, oh, we need to uh, make available, uh, you know, more Gmail clusters because we're scaling up. You Google always wants to have a cluster of Gmail servers available for you to access. So 
these requirements for clusters for Kubernetes, like managing services, are somewhat different than the requirements for data processing clusters, where you know maybe you have low latency requirements, maybe you don't, maybe they're variable. But like Kubernetes clusters for managing services, you just want these up all the time. Yeah. So so I think I think that's that's a that's a very very nice way to put it. Like. Uh, like you will always services composes of like the 70 to 80 percent of the workload in the world but there are always going to be this data infrastructure there is always going to be this custom uh, way of doing things that that is available on mesos so uh, even before kubernetes was there right i mean um, uh, so mesos had uh, so twitter um, being the one of the biggest users they had this framework called apache aurora i don't know if you have um, uh, so Apache Aurora basically is uh, is like a service scheduler uh, which does a lot of declarative uh, things like Kubernetes, it, does, it defines a state machine and it, it has a declarative uh, syntax of saying what to do when, when, when this, uh, this particular piece of code goes up or down or how to scale things, uh, how to monitor this. Uh, so, so it has been there in, in the message world. Apache Aurora and Marathon has been there for quite some time and um, um, both are a fairly mature project. I think what, what Kubernetes brought it, uh, with it is, uh, is uh, two things. One is the great community. I think, uh, uh, that's something that uh, that is very essential. Uh, uh, but also, there's uh, uh, this. So I, I think they got the service not, uh, notion very right in in the sense that um, you have network mesh that is always available. You don't need to configure explicit DNS. You don't need to con like, configure explicit network. That is all out of the box for you as a service. So I think that what this means is in the in, if you configure the same service in Apache Aurora versus in Kubernetes uh, as as a service writer, you have much less declarative uh, syntax. To deal with rather than uh, on the Aurora, I mean, your typical files are like hundreds of lines of code, uh, declarative syntax, and uh, that sort of um, gets uh, into the way of uh, developing people. Uh, I mean, people who are developing services. Uh, so Kubernetes basically said, like, uh, we'll give you a out of the box uh, nice experience for running services, and it's great. Uh, and uh, that's why that's why I, I, I like almost always say to people who are like uh, into startups or small small companies like always start with Kubernetes uh, because that's where I think most companies start like uh, run a web service run a website uh, and as you grow and because uh, after you have grown you will have data needs you will have the needs to scale infrastructure you will also want to so other other thing that uh, Mesos gives you is this uh, portability across your infrastructure you can be running Mesos if you are developing against Mesos, uh, so if your uh, frameworks are developing against Mesos, you can be running on AWS today and uh, Azure tomorrow and on your own infrastructure the next day uh, without touching and rewriting the codes and configuration. So I think that's that's the other reason why you want to want have some, some infrastructure OS that, that takes care of uh, all this. The architecture that you've described about Mesos being something you can run Kubernetes on is certainly compelling to me. When I've done interviews with Google people, uh, Kubernetes, it's Kubernetes all the way down. Like that's my, when I'm talking to them, it just seems like it's Kubernetes all the way down and I don't have any conversations with them where I haven't so far. Maybe I'm not asking the right questions where they say, oh yeah, we still have, because so Kubernetes is based on this Borg, Google Borg project, the Google Borg thing that manages all of Google's data centers and data workloads and services and whatnot. And Kubernetes is based on this. Um, but in the conversations I have with them, it's never like, oh yeah, Kubernetes runs on Borg. It's always like Kubernetes. We just have Kubernetes. So why, what's the difference there? Is there some way to, to use Kubernetes where it's, it, it, 
is your full stack thing and you don't need to run Kubernetes on Mesos? And what, what am I missing from from these two different types of, of architectures where you have Kubernetes just on your data center versus Mesos on your data center and Kubernetes on your Mesos? So I, I'm not sure about the Google. Uh, I've never worked there. So <laughs> uh, uh, so I, I would be surprised if the, their 100% of the workload is on Kubernetes, especially at this point in time. Um, uh, what, although you should consider is uh, the fact that both of these projects, like Mesos and Kubernetes, are pretty fast-moving projects. So there are there are there is a cross pollination between the projects ideas and uh, so Kubernetes, as I was saying, uh, has, there is a recent proposal uh, of multiple schedulers, uh, which still sort of is uh, bolted on, if if you ask me. But but that's where they also realize that there is no that there's no one scheduler fits all ever in in the uh, when if you want to go full stack on Kubernetes, you are going to be bounded uh, uh, to have uh, different schedulers. So they are they are having this uh, the conversation about uh, so there's SIG uh, uh, for the schedulers uh, going on where where there's a conversation about having multiple schedulers uh, and and uh, I mean I, I I can go into much detail but I I think it uh, the the optimistic offer model of uh, the Kubernetes uh, it's very interesting once you once you get to see more and more schedulers it's going to run more and more uh, problem run into a lot of conflicts. Uh, so, uh, in terms of optimistic, optimistic concurrency control. So, uh, that's my worldview right now. Like, it's not uh, uh, Kubernetes full stack uh, is probably hard, if not like if not nearly impossible, at least at this point in time. What is, so? What are these optimistic concurrency challenges? Uh, so, so, uh, uh, so if you think about schedulers, right? Uh, so there are two ways to, uh, like like in the traditional database uh, system, there are two ways to manage resources. One is the optimistic way and one is the pessimistic way. So uh, uh, the Mesos is a pessimistic way. So pessimistic may, way means uh, uh, if I give resources to one uh, framework, I, I will mark those resources as used and will not offer these resources to anyone else. So uh, while the optimistic uh, uh, worldview is that okay? I I can give the, these offers to multiple of people, and probably they will not collide. Probably they they'll be okay. I think uh, that's that's one of the big big difference uh, in terms of architecture and uh, uh, scheduling point of view. So uh, what what this means is uh, uh, so pessimistic worldview can give you a little lay a uh, little less uh, uh, utilization uh, at the uh, uh, on the other hand, it will give you a much better SLA, while on the optimistic worldview, it can hurt your SLA a bit uh, at, at a, and, and can give you a higher utilization. Uh, now, having said that, uh, as I was saying, there's a cross-pollination of ideas. So Mesos now has uh, uh, things to compensate for the uh, utilization in, in, the, in the form of optimistic uh, resource offers and reservations. Uh, and Kubernetes is considering multiple schedulers. So when you have the multiple schedulers, uh, in, so as long as you have one scheduler, uh, uh, the optimistic offers does not make a big difference in, in the Kubernetes worldview. But if the, you have multiple of schedulers, which and you give resources to both of them, uh, there can be conflicts. Now and then in the Kubernetes, uh, there is a way to uh, detect and resolve this conflict, uh, but it's not. As I'm saying, like as if you have more and more schedulers uh, into your infrastructure, you're going to see more and more conflict, and it it will it will not scale basically. What if you um, what if you allocate specific? I mean, if you if you have multiple schedulers, but you allocate 
explicit resources to each scheduler, then there's not necessarily a conflict, right? It would only be if you have multiple schedulers that are trying to schedule the same resources. So, so uh, if you mean that, so then it will basically boil down to static partitioning, and uh, that's the old old way of infra- managing infrastructure. That means you lose all the dynamic utilization, all all sort of benefits. And once you, for example, you don't want your Hadoop jobs to be running fine if your web server is dying and the website is down. <laughs> so that that's I think the the, the problem. I think uh, that's that's why you need uh, you need a. Um, uh, at the at the level of infrastructure wise you need a uh, visibility of multiple schedulers and and uh, and have a way to deal with it although you could then you could have another scheduler that schedules resources into the two static partitions yes and that's mesos and if you think about it that that's precisely what mesos is like it it basically gives you resources and gets out of the way like and then you do whatever you want to do but if if kubernetes did the multiple scheduler thing you could have layers of schedulers what would be different between kubernetes and mesos there are there are um, differences. I think uh, for for many frameworks it might not matter uh, in the long run. Like if I don't know, like ten years down the line, it, both projects might be equally good. Uh, but uh, what I would say is uh, this notion that uh, the worldview of Kubernetes is only one. So if you think about it, right, everything, all the all the all the all the uh, all the request uh, to Kubernetes goes through API gateway. Like uh, that's. Uh, that that gives them a sort of a little better user experience, but at the same time, it it limits their uh, like what to do. Like if if you are an application framework which sort of doesn't care, for example, about uh, rate limiting or things like that, you you cannot get out of that worldview in Kubernetes. I think and in the message is you don't care. Like like I, I give you resources, you manage your resources. Uh, I I I just don't want to be involved in the in the in the management of your resources how to do things for you uh, so that that also reflects in in how the frameworks are being developed so if you uh, if you are uh, in the message world you can use almost all the tools out of the box uh, that are framework specific like if you are you're running hadoop on message you can use all the hadoop tools without changing anything or uh, kafka tools which are like all the things that basically are uh, can be affected by this notion that there is only world view, one worldview in Kubernetes. So, uh, like, I, I, there are tools. For example, if it's not uh, really good at uh, handling proxies and all, it might have challenges in in uh, dealing with frameworks running on Kubernetes. So, I think I missed some of what you said. I so if I if if I want to run these stream processing frameworks on top of Kubernetes. What are the challenges for doing that? Because, I mean, like you said, Kubernetes is this great model for running services. You know, you can frame a stream processing framework as a service, but it's probably not, I mean, it doesn't sound like that's the same idea of an abstraction of a service that, that you think of Kubernetes as being well-suited to. But what, what what if I do? What if I'm just like, I insist on running my stream processing on Kubernetes? What's What's difficult about that? So think about it, like, uh, say, for example, you are running uh, a stream processing framework like Kafka or you know, Heron, or like m- many of these uh, uh, frameworks which are uh, uh, which are very popular. So if you, if, you, if you are Kafka master or you are Heron master, you know that, uh, you know, which stream is, for, for example, a higher prior- priority than the lower, when the other prior- stream, right? For example, if there are user clicks that you care about versus the transaction clicks, there is, there are like multiple examples which I, I can I can give, uh, but this I'm giving one example of a notion of priority, for example. Uh, so in the Kubernetes worldview, 
because the rate limiting happens at the API gateway, not at the framework specific way, you can be basically rate limited at the gateway itself. And if the transaction, and because it's the same framework, it's, uh, the scheduling, the streaming is the same framework, you can be start to be uh, dropping the transaction request just because the, say for example, the click request is just flooding in because it's rate limited. Now, compare that to a Mesos model where all of this is done by Mesos, uh, by by the application framework, not Mesos, uh, where you can decide, okay, I don't care about uh, uh, click rates for now because I, I it's having too much traffic. I can be doing rate limiting separately for both of the streams, things like that. So th this is one example. Uh, I don't know if it's convincing, but when, when I, whenever you think about anything that the framework can be doing better rather than the Kubernetes is what I'm, uh, I think uh, will be a big difference. So in this case, for example, in the streaming case, uh, rate limiting, uh, dropping the uh, packets in the database world also, that, that's very like you want to, for example, prioritize some things over others, uh, even though it's the same framework, uh, even though it supports of the same framework, you, you as an application framework have more knowledge about what uh, this means in, in the application specific way rather than uh, in a generic service way. We haven't talked, I guess we haven't talked about database workloads as much. We've been talking about service workloads and streaming processing workloads. What about if I want to run MongoDB or Cassandra or some other database uh, on Kubernetes? Uh, or on Mesos, what are the differences there? What like what would be preferable to to run those on? Yeah, so it's a good question. I think uh, uh, it's a very good question. Um, so again, because the Kubernetes has this worldview uh, uh, of single uh, services model, you can. So currently, there are people who who are trying to run Cassandra and uh, other databases on Kubernetes, and it sort of works. I, I wouldn't say it doesn't work, uh, but in if you think about the database workload, right? I mean, you want to get the last byte of performance out of all this, and you don't want to be bounded by all the other things that is going on in the system. Um, I think that's this is again something that is very application specific. So uh, in the Mesos world, I think Mesos has like probably more than 10, 12 database frameworks already, Mongo, Cassandra, like you name it. Uh, all of these frameworks already ported, yeah, run out of the box uh, on Mesos. Uh, and uh, so if if I give you one example, right? For uh, if you are uh, mounting the so currently the the way you would do a data um, uh, framework uh, database framework on Kubernetes is you mount an external uh, disk uh, onto your Kubernetes uh, database service and uh, that takes care of it. Now this is uh, okayish, but if you think about it, that, that's just not ideal. Like if you lose it. If you lose a lose a disk for a, for say because it is a, say it is remote and mounted, uh, if there is a network glitch for one minute, what do you do? Like this is one of the those questions where the applications. Uh, if you do because if you do st start to replicate, for example, because you don't want to lose your data to a new replication, uh, that will also mean that you will flood the other two replicas that are active, and you might also r risk breaking them down. Versus in the Mesos world, you can actually say, oh, okay, I, wait a minute. I I know there is a network glitch and I can be waiting for this for a while. And I can actually know what data was the, that on, on that disk and how many repl uh, how many of those copies are already there on the uh, other um, replicas and how many are not. So this is the application specific insight. Uh, these are the kind of application specific insight that you can have on the 
uh, in, the, in the Mesos world, which you will lose if you just say this is a state machine, uh, run it for me in the Kubernetes world. Got it. So, okay. Let's talk about some higher level views. So, like how companies are using Mesos or perhaps Kubernetes. Um, although you've written, I think, more about Mesos. <clears throat> we talked some about Netflix, and I did an entire show about Netflix's scheduling. Actually, a couple shows about how Netflix does scheduling. Um, you've also looked at Uber. Uber has published case studies about how they use Mesos. How does Uber use Mesos? So I, uh, there are a number of big companies uh, that are using Mesos, um, right from Apple to like Twitter. Oh, yeah, Apple. Apple. Of course, Google. Apple has like the largest yeah. deployment, right? Yeah, Apple has. So Siri runs on. That's what uh, they they came out last year and saying Siri is what runs on. Uh, they have a custom scheduler. So these are kind of application-specific frameworks, which you will not be able to do very easily saying state machine. Like, I don't know how you will specify Siri as a state machine. <laughs> Siri framework as a state machine. Uh, uh, so uh, there are a number of big companies, like uh, Uber is one a big example. Netflix is one big example. Uh, there are enough database companies uh, out there who are who are using Mesos very seriously. Uh, Twitter is a very big example. Uh, in terms of uh, how they use this, if you, if you see, I think it goes uh, into similar vein, like, most of the people start Mesos uh, when they they are having one or two workloads, and then they sort of grow because Mesos gives them flexibility then the, uh, of running things in on the same infrastructure side by side. The the number of frameworks uh, they run on uh, typically grows very fast uh, because it's so easy and uh, it gives you so uh, the utilization and all. So Netflix example is very very um, interesting because they run already in the cloud and. Uh, uh, yeah, the fact that they are getting uh, around 40% of the savings is, I think, I remember off the top of my head, uh, just because they use Mesos instead of directly running things on. Uh, so you can be saying, oh, I can be just because I, I have everything in my Docker containers, I can just be running directly Docker containers on top of uh, the uh, Amazon infrastructure. Just because they use Mesos for uh, almost all their scheduling, they are able to absorb uh, uh, the the capacity that is lying around uh, in into a smaller number of infrastructure uh, machines that they they need, and they are getting forty percent or so uh, improvement in terms of how much the infrastructure they need, and that's a big uh, win for some for someone like Amazon, uh, someone like Netflix. Um, yeah, uh, Uber. Uh, uh, I, I have had some conversation with the Uber people. So uh, Uber is a big user of uh, Mesos and. Uh, they are also considering things like moving to clouds with Mesos. So uh, I don't know if that's public. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> so uh, there, what there do you mean? I thought they were already there. on AWS. Uh, okay, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, all right. Okay, okay. No uh, so the, yeah, so so. Uh, there are a number of uh, Apple, for example, is like known to be using uh, their own infrastructure. Uh, uh, there are uh, companies like Twitter that they use their own infrastructure, and because of uh, because of Mesos, they are able to leverage. Uh, so Mesos provides two things: one, one it, it gives you this nice avail- utilization of your infrastructure that you have, and second, it gives you this flexibility of writing your own distributed apps. I think uh, that's that's very undervalued by a lot of people who who haven't played with Mesos a lot. I mean, if you are just trying to run a web server uh, on your web machines, I am sure, yeah, you don't need Mesos. You probably also don't need Kubernetes uh, in that case. <laughs> uh, but as, as more and more frameworks starts to show up in your infrastructure, I think Mesos has a lot of value add and lots and lots of companies are like Airbnb was one of the big examples. Um, so lots of good companies are out there. 
it's pretty mature. I think that's another reason that people overlook. Uh, you don't want your into your infrastructure piece to be, I don't know, uh, very very uh, fast moving. Um, on the same note, I think uh, the, the the infrastructure the, the piece that you brought right uh, because uh, um, sorry this is a bit of side note but uh, uh, so Mesos uh, being a data center kernel is like few hundred thousand lines of code uh, in, all in all uh, and Kubernetes is like I don't know a year old or so and it has few million lines of code so I think <laughs> so it has I, last time I checked I think it's 3.4 million line plus code so that's a lot of code. Uh, to be managing, uh, to be running in your infrastructure as as a base layer, uh, and then you are running things on top. So, uh, yeah, there there are basically trade offs that that you are making when you are making infrastructure choices, and people should be making informed choices. I think that's that's very important. Interesting. Well, I mean, the Kubernetes stuff. Kubernetes. It's hard to know how much was ported from Borg, and Borg has obviously had tons of work done on it. Yes, I think uh, so. I, as far as I have been uh, in, in the, if you see in the KubeCon um, um, talks also, so what, what has been said is uh, it's not the same code base. Uh, it's a code base that is written from scratch uh, for the Kubernetes. Yeah, so that's what my impression is. I, again, I, I never worked for Google, so I don't know. But the uh, that's they they basically wanted a new. Uh, so if you look at their uh, Borg paper and Omega papers, they they very clearly say that their internal. Uh, um, scheduler basically was a big monolith and that start to that had hundreds and hundreds of special rules for different application and that started to grow uh, unmanageable and then they want to so that's why all the new uh, the, the the framework that the new framework that they wanted was uh, uh, supposed to it's definitely something that they wanted as a two-phase uh, scheduler rather than the single-phase scheduler do you see anything else interesting at the KubeCon videos, or I don't know if you attended KubeCon. I wanted to go, but I didn't didn't go this year. So same, I I, I have stopped going to any of these big conferences. Uh, so I I didn't. Uh, yeah, it's too much of a distraction. It's, it's too much of. I think it's far less productive. Far more productive is to meet people outside, uh, have have a good conversation with them. I think that's that's uh, that's what I did with DockerCon. That's what I did with MessCon. So, um, so it's interesting. In um, um, uh, I watched some of the videos. I watched the videos of uh, so I am basically interested in how they how the Kubernetes project goes about uh, to add support for data frameworks and data infrastructure all in all. So I think uh, because that's that's uh, that's going to be very interesting because that's not sort of native to their uh, notion of how they see the world. Uh, so I, I want to see how they are going to evolve into that. Uh, there was interesting talk about adding GPU support on that uh, too. So I think that the, there's a couple of talks. So these are which are stretching the boundaries of uh, Kubernetes, uh, and that is they're very interesting to me. I I have had the background in scheduler for like five years, and I love seeing how the abstractions are getting extended and uh, pushed. So yeah, I would be really, really, really interested in see how how they support GPU, how they support uh, uh, multiple schedulers, how they support uh, data infrastructure, all that. It's so funny what you say about conferences. I I I got I've been going to a lot of conferences for the past you know year and a half since starting Software Engineering Daily. I, I, for me, it's fun because it's like you just kind of like get a touch touch base with the like the ecosystem is where the ecosystem comes together. And you see all these vendors. And you walk between the vendor booths, and it's like, okay, here's this vendor's view of the world, and here's this vendor's view of the world, and you know, here's how they're crafting their marketing materials. And I don't know, maybe it's not a useful 
uh no, i think it's i think it's useful but uh, i i generally do that just looking at the product page i think when the, what they say on their product page i mean if you see the reddit uh, product page of kubernetes versus the core os kubernetes offering or versus the aws kubernetes offering it's very clear on what their uh, value proposition is for each what of this what what are you working on these days what's what what company are you working at or are you doing something on your own oh oh no i i work for microsoft uh, okay you still work for microsoft was, right i i i was with microsoft research for a long time and then i'm i'm now with microsoft i work in uh, uh, microsoft hd insight so that's basically um, like data processing as a service like we run hadoop hive spark kafka yeah, yeah so, i've i've talked to some people from from hd insight at i think i talked to at strata oh yeah yeah uh, we can we can talk about who, who did you meet uh, <laughs> i can't i can't remember who i met i can't remember who it was i can't remember his name i was trying to get a show a show together about that cuz i think microsoft is doing a lot of interesting work uh in this area um yeah so it's very interesting so that's why that's why I, it's very interesting to see how this data framework collide with this new world view of uh, uh, the resource allocation so yeah and i mean we haven't even talked about the cloud providers yet i mean we could talk about the, we've talked about the mesos and kubernetes or mesos versus kubernetes depending on what verbiage you want to use but the i think the cloud provider conversation is equally interesting um so I guess uh, we'll start with Mesosphere. Okay, we, we could talk about Amazon, we could talk about Microsoft, but let's start with Mesosphere. Mesosphere provides this platform and support for Apache Mesos. And I, I've read about a lot of companies that provide platform and support for Kubernetes, whether it's Google or Rancher Labs or Prenda. Um, why, why do companies decide to, or how do companies choose between these different providers? I think uh, so in terms in terms of mesos I think there are this mesosphere is like sort of like default and the big choice I don't know a lot of other companies which which have the mesosphere as uh, so meso- having number of good people um, they have like the flagship mesos uh, developers on their team yeah so. they have like a founder benjamin is there like there are the number of people that yeah they're, they're, they're very good uh, at what they're doing um, how do people choose uh, infrastructure provider I think it's it's a very interesting conversation even in the context of the cloud and and how they choose how different people choose different clouds if you see right like i think for like i don't know like 60 70% of the people out there i think both of i mean all the three clouds right now for example provide more or less the same features that they need so <laughs> uh, i think that there is a i, I do believe there is a world view in which uh, based on which people decide uh, what they're comfortable with like in in kubernetes for example people who choose coreos versus people who choose reddit are more or less very different or versus people who choose i don't know some other companies uh, uh, so i think it's more about how comfortable you are in the long term relationship with with the with the provider uh, like 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 cloud i think it's a more long term than than just a feature based head to head comparison of course that that matters i'm not saying it doesn't matter but i'm saying uh, features are more or less uh, becoming more and more equal and uh, one of the often ignored fact about uh, um, about this is long term relationship with the company yeah and probably how much bandwidth you can allocate to to your mesos cluster like if you're like an insurance company with not a lot of engineers and yeah. you want to go to mesos you probably are going to go with Mesosphere. You don't want to go deploy your own Mesos thing on AWS. You would rather just have another layer between you and the provider. 
Yep, yeah. So I think that's that's a very good point. Like most of the uh, most of the people should not be running Mesos or Kubernetes on their own. I mean, it's like again, like there are only I don't know two companies in the world which are doing the operations for operating system. One is Reddit, one is Microsoft. So uh, you don't you don't want to be in that because you your most of the company's value provision uh, value value provision is higher up in the chain. Uh, you know what you're doing good and you should be focusing on that and that the infrastructure management piece be managed by someone someone who, who knows it how to do better okay so if you're a company that wants to go with you want to you want to do all the deployment yourself you want to configure your infrastructure you don't want to go with um, uh, something higher up the stack like mesosphere if you want to deploy to amazon or you want to deploy to uh, microsoft azure or google cloud or DigitalOcean, you want to manage the stuff yourself you you mentioned this worldview thing. You know, different people have different worldviews that map to the infrastructure provider that they end up going with. What are those worldviews? So, okay, so um, the, the one worldview is uh, is startup worldview, where I say uh, for them uh, the the iteration cycles matter far far more than the stability. Um, I, th- I think th- there's a slider between the, the iteration cycle and the stability that. Uh, uh, so, uh, so startup is at sort of one end of it where you require lots and lots of fast iterations uh, versus uh, the stability where I don't know someone like Walmart or someone like uh, some big big oil company uh, where technology is very very important to them uh, but uh, the stability is also very important I don't like G for example like you don't want uh, your uh, uh, I don't know, uh, healthcare monitors go down just because, you know, <laughs> somebody decided there's a new JavaScript framework out there, I want to try it out. So, <laughs> uh, so these are two different worldviews uh, in terms of how the iteration cycle is there. The second uh, worldview is uh, the experience and uh, comfort level of people working on these teams. Uh, as you said, like in the, the finance, uh, that, that worldview is very different than, than the things, for example, that someone like, I don't know, uh, even even in finance, for example, there are people who just want some of the queries to be answered. Versus, uh, yeah, there are there are people who who really want last piece of uh, infrastructure uh, performance getting out of the out of their way. So, uh, I think it's 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 what you have been doing in in past and in terms of like uh, in terms of your team. If you if you have have a team which which is very very comfortable uh, managing infrastructure has has a bunch of knowledge. Um, and uh, does does not get distracted by the coolness of infrastructure management uh, because I've seen this at times. So, so um, yeah, versus someone who just wants to uh, get get things done at the higher level. I think if you are a JavaScript uh, framework developer, I, I mean you don't care about uh, Docker containers where they run. Like you care about like your framework. So. Uh, yeah, that's that's very so. The front end, back end is is one uh, such dichotomy. The stability iteration is another dichotomy. Uh, the the enterprise uh, versus non enterprise is one dichotomy. Like where the lot of lots and lots of large teams um, versus small number of teams. Uh, uh, this, these are all uh, choices and trade offs. And also, the cloud platforms seem to be diverging somewhat, or they you can see these specializations taking shape like google with kubernetes perhaps being um you know that's a compelling reason to go with gcp or dataflow you know they're building up an expertise in their streaming thing which all of the you know you talk to people at the different streaming things and a lot of them say oh dataflow is a great model for doing things 
and then AWS, you know, there seems like they're putting a big bet on Lambda on the serverless stuff. Um, and Microsoft has its uh, its bets on yeah, well, at, sure, Azure Functions. But I was gonna say that in terms of the specializations, like um, really getting enterprises that are really deep into uh, Windows platforms, like how do you you know move to a place where your economics are much better because you're on the cloud. Um, like that's a huge amount of work. So these, you know, you have these, you have these big infrastructure providers and they do have their overlapping functionality, but they also have their distinct characteristics for the customers that they can go after. Cause the cloud is so, such a big environment. So it's not like a winner take all thing. So I think you mentioned a very good point. Like you, you, you see how even even though it's the same functionality, like like Lambda, like you see very different implementation of of the same thing. Even in if you in the data space, it's actually very visible. If you see how Amazon thinks about the, the data frameworks that they the data services that they offer versus how Google thinks about it and how Microsoft thinks about it. So it's it's very different. Microsoft like thinks about uh, HD inside is, is sort of Microsoft is always about choice. I think they always like to give uh, customer lots and lots and lots of choices uh, because they know the the par- value of partnership, the value of uh, uh, not eating up the uh, the value chain of your partner and, and things like that, which is not something which is something that you learn if you are doing enterprise business for twenty years, but which is not something that you learn if you are doing enterprise business for last ten years, which is. Amazon, quote unquote, and if, if it's not something that uh, you learn if you are doing enterprise business for five years, which is sort of Google. <laughs> so uh, it's it's very interesting how they, how they look at partnership, how they look at uh, the data frameworks. So if you look at uh, ADLA and HD Insight, that uh, offering that Microsoft has, that looks very different from EMR offering, and that looks very different from Google offering of Data Proc. Uh, like I can go into detail on how how that looks different, but <laughs> there'll be digression. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Um... I wanted to ask. Well, I wanted to ask you about serverless because you know we've talked about microservice workloads, we've talked about data workloads, we've talked about database workloads a little bit. Are serverless workloads this other class of workload type that we're going to have that we're going to be thinking about more seriously in the future when we think about like how our data center operating system accepts different types of requests? Uh, I, I I generally view uh, serverless frameworks at, at again, a more higher level. So if you think about, like, uh, what I mean a higher level in the stack is, like, there is an infrastructure OS, then there is a service frameworks, which runs, which knows how to run things like Kafka and, uh, like, Kubernetes and things like that. And then there are things built on top of it, like, like okay, you know how to run Spark, but then, then you want to build an app on top of Spark, right? So I think serverless fits at that layer where it says, I, I want this, I, I know what my function should be doing. I don't care about where, where you run it. Uh, I don't care about how you make sure that it's up and uh, performing at the highest level and things like that. I just want to run this function. So I think it's at the layer which is which sits above all the uh, uh, framework layers. So framework layer is is where you know how to run Spark, you know how to run Hadoop, you know how to run Blah, and then the, on the value t- value chain uh, top is is the serverless frameworks where you know this is image processing or this is machine learning or this is I don't know like uh, rendering framework. So this this is where serverless I think shines and and uh, it's irrespective of uh, what frameworks are using and how 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 the infrastructure is being. It's a, it's a, it's a great new direction. Uh, it's, 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 it's basically putting uh, your mouth where the, like, yeah, <laughs> where the, where the money is. So, yeah. Cool. Well, Darmesh, thanks for coming on the show. It's been great talking to you. I'm glad you reached out over email and, um, you know, we had a great conversation about 
how Kubernetes and Mesos are not necessarily overlapping. They're different layers of the stack. And this, I think this episode was a very useful explanation for some of those things in more detail. Wow.